and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jake Tura. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Jake onto the show. So, Jake, welcome to the Science Support Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you in. Yeah, man. Excited. Uh, me too, mate. It's going to be good. So, first things first, who are you and what have you done until now? Yeah, okay. So, Jake Tura, um, I was a college strength coach for, I think, six years and recently I left. Um, so, I got into college strength conditioning, or I got into strength conditioning like anyone uh, usually was a bad athlete, maybe didn't have much muscle mass, much strength. So I trained out of that. Um, so I gained a lot of muscle. I gained a lot of strength. I, my measure of athleticism was always vertical jump because I like dunking basketballs. Um, so I trained out of that, out of my poor athleticism and size and strength. And that might've taken me like five, six, seven years. So with the training, there's many disciplines that I had to use. It was It was mainly like bodybuilding, powerlifting, um, athletic performance. So I have tried myself now with my online business is how can we put all of that together to help you get more muscle, get stronger, and increase athletic performance at the same time. Um, so that's really what I spend my time doing. So we're here today to discuss uh, hypertrophy clusters, which uh, you've you've done some writing about and, and make sure the world knows a little bit more about. But first things first, um, people want to get big, right? But what are the adaptations which underpin hypertrophy? Yeah, the so this comes from Brad Schoenfeld. He had a study. I don't know when it was, a long time ago, but he he was talking about three mechanisms. It was mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. So. The mechanical tension aspect, if we take it in the weight room, is that you have to use a load that is is heavy enough. And, and we would say like maybe 70% load. I guess you can get mechanical tension if you take a lighter load to failure. Um, but you need a high amount of mechanical tension so that we could actually signal the – you're using the muscle mass in the weight room. You're breaking it down. Your body actually comes in and, and adds – wants to add hypertrophy to that area, whatever you trained. The uh, metabolic stress aspect would be – getting the burn, the lactate, the hormonal response, and then the muscle damage. I guess muscle damage could happen from any type of those uh, contractions, a heavy load or a light load. So Brad Schoenfeld was showing that these are three mechanisms that kind of underpin hypertrophy, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage, and you should be training for them in the weight room. And then I guess I've kind of paired that up with some ideas from other guys in the bodybuilding world, if we're talking about hypertrophy, that we also want a higher degree of volume. So you can do the, the heavy sets in the weight room, but you need to you need to actually accumulate a number of sets uh, to 
accumulate to get hypertrophy over time. So if you just go in and do one super heavy set with high mechanical tension, you're not going to be able to use much volume because it's so fatiguing. So doing a 100% load might just be too much. It's going to kill you. And then if you just do the lighter load sets, those also take a super long time. So it's wise to usually train in like a 65 to 80% range of a one rep max. If you're training for hypertrophy and like the compound exercises. So hypertrophy clusters really centers around those three things, the mechanical tension, the metabolic stress, the muscle damage, and then doing those for a high enough volume so that you can get hypertrophy, but also not too much volume where you're just killing yourself every single day. So yeah, those are the ideas. So you, you mentioned a couple of, of variables there that we can play with. Are there any other variables which are, are particularly important? Yeah. So there are many, and I'm not like, I know there are many guys recently coming out about hypertrophy, like all of these ideas around it, like cell swelling and getting tension within that actual muscle. So looking at the technique, uh, um, looking at the technique of the exercise and focusing very hard on that. Um, I have stayed on that Brad Schoenfeld route, those three things he's talking about. One thing that is very interesting, Chris Beardsley came out to talk about having repetitions that that are useful for hypertrophy, having repetitions that signal hypertrophy. And what he was getting at was you need the, first of all, you need a lot of motor unit recruitment. So you need to be lifting a heavy load or you need to be lifting very close to failure. And then you need the concentric velocity to be slowing down. If you're using maximal intent on the way up, it needs to be slowing down towards the end. And he he said you need to pair the two. You need to have a high motor unit recruitment and you need to have a slower constant velocity. And if you have that with a repetition, that is a repetition that's going to signal hypertrophy. So I have implemented that within hypertrophy clusters to say, let's say you're doing a set of five repetitions on a squat and it is a 65% load. If you get to repetition four and repetition five, and the concentric velocity is still very fast, that probably is not a set that is going to signal hypertrophy like it should. That is not a rep that is signaling hypertrophy like it should. And I can't give you a specific on how slow or how fast it should be. I just don't know. But those are ideas that I've implemented as well, where you want every set to be getting within three, to be getting within two, three, four reps of failure. And then those repetitions where you're around that is going to be a repetition that's signaling hypertrophy. The repetitions before that are not necessarily doing that. But those are things that I put into it. And there are probably hundreds of other mechanisms that people want to talk about with hypertrophy. But I prefer to keep it as simple as possible. And I have seen very good results with it. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. I think that's uh, super interesting. It's good to get the, the physiology down. So when we want to use clusters, um, obviously there are unique pros and cons to using that. Um, what kind of populations are they most suited for? So there's obviously some populations who are going to do really well off of this and others that might not. Uh, can you speak to which is uh, more suitable? Yeah. So for me, I have, I have um, 
kind of made my own niche where I'm interested in all things. So I'm not just interested in bodybuilding. If you're just interested in bodybuilding, you probably don't need to do clusters. Go and do traditional bodybuilding because you don't care about your explosive performance. Um, same thing if you're a powerlifter. If you're a powerlifter, do the low bar back squat and the bench press and the, and the deadlifts, however you feel best. You don't care. You don't necessarily care about athletic performance. Um, but I care about all of these things at once. So when I'm talking to the populations that would be good for hypertrophy clusters, I'm always going to be talking about athletes, people that are people that are interested in muscle gain, but they're also interested in athletic performance. So I would say for any athletes, they if they're doing hypertrophy training with compound exercises, they should be doing clusters. They should not be doing um, like traditional four sets of 10 where the last four or five reps look awful and are extremely slow. They should probably not be doing that because it has such a negative effect. Now, I would say if you're a newbie, you're like a, a straight up beginner, it really doesn't matter what you do. You could literally do anything and you're going to get bigger, stronger, faster, um, assuming that you can recover from the training. Um, so. Yeah, I would say that it pretty much works for any population of athletes and for beginners. It really just doesn't matter. As you get more advanced, it does matter a bit more because as you get more advanced, it takes so much. It takes so much more focus to get a little bit more hypertrophy over and over, or a little bit more performance over and over. So that's where you'd have to really look at your sets. Uh, like we were talking about the concentric velocity being a little bit slower. I've had so many people do the program and they don't do sets like that. They just fly through the sets. So it's like they probably have five, six, seven reps in the tank at the end of their set, but they still get hypertrophy from it because they're, I just don't think they're advanced enough to need to really do it perfectly. Uh, but as you get more advanced, you need to make sure every single set is hitting that point where you're within three, four, two, three, four reps of failure. And then you might need to rest a little bit more. So in the hypertrophy training plan, I usually suggest if you're doing eight sets of five, like one minute of rest is probably good for most people. But as you get more advanced, if you're going to be doing back squat with 315 pounds or even, even higher, one minute of rest might be very difficult and you because you're giving so much output. So you might need to rest a little bit more. So there are a little bit of differences over time. But I, I kind of look at it on that spectrum of beginners, things just don't really matter. And then intermediate, things matter, but they don't matter as much. And then advanced, you really need to focus on things to make sure everything is as perfect as possible to get a little bit of gain. But if you're an athlete and you're doing hypertrophy training with compound exercises, you should probably be doing uh, clusters. And the most interesting part of the conversation, I think, is then why is that the case? Why, why What makes uh, clusters unique? which means that athletes can really profit from them. Yeah. So oh, there's a few things. So like we can look at it from the, the hormonal response. Like if you do, let's say, let's just take, for example, back squat, four sets of 10 with 65, 70% load, something like that. Like that is usually what's recommended for hypertrophy. So let's just look at energy systems. An athlete goes and does four sets of 10. Those 10 reps, it might take them 20 to 30 seconds, maybe even longer to complete that set, 20, 30, 40 seconds of effort. And then they should probably rest like three, four minutes before they do that set again. So the energy system is, let's just say 30 seconds of work and then three minutes of rest. And that doesn't really look like any sport. That doesn't look like football. It doesn't look like basketball. It doesn't look like anything where you're interested in explosive performance. So if we want to just talk about specificity of energy systems, if you just shift a little bit closer to what those sports look like, where football, it might be fi a five-second play and then a one-minute rest or a 40-second rest. Um, basketball, it's a very short burst and then like very slow jogging. So 
if we kind of shift this and we let's just say you're doing eight sets of five instead of four sets of 10, those five reps, it might take you 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 20 seconds. And then you only need to rest about one minute. Some people might need to rest 45 seconds. Some people might rest 90 seconds. So you're cutting down the work interval and then you're also cutting down the rest interval and that it more mirrors sport. Uh, so for explosive performance, it's just a little bit closer to that. So you're probably going to get better gains in that because it's a little bit closer. The other thing is when you do those bodybuilding sets, like a back squat with 10 reps, you start to get in that uh, very lactic environment where you, you're um, accumulating a lot of uh, hydrogen ions and lactate. It's very acidic. It's very damaging. It takes a long time to recover from those type of workouts. So if an athlete is doing four sets of 10 and they're just destroying themselves on squat, uh, they're probably going to feel bad after the session and the next day and the next day they're going to feel, they're going to feel the residual negative effect from that, from a fatigue standpoint. Um, and you could literally just do eight sets of five and you're not going to accumulate that much lactate. You're doing the same amount of volume and you would do the same amount of, it would take the same amount of time because you just cut down the rest and an athlete would not experience the potential negatives down the line, like the potential negatives the day of and the multiple days after because they're just avoiding that very damaging lactic environment. And another thing I would say, I guess the third thing is if you're doing four sets of 10 squat with a heavy load uh, repetition, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, they usually look awful. Like the knees start coming back, the knees might cave in, you might, might start using the low back. So like if you're an athlete, you, you probably don't want to be doing that type of stuff. Like using those, using repetitions that you're really compromising technique I don't think anyone wants to be like that. So it's all about the, the, the quality of performance is very important um, for any for any athlete. Quality of performance is very important. So if you do eight sets of five, the quality of performance is always going to be better. The repetitions are always going to be better. And if you want to focus on something, because let's just take myself, for example, I have very long legs and a very short torso and I'm a jumper. Um, I love jumping, but I also, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very good deadlifter. So if I let's just take, for example, if I do squats, I want to do like a deadlift. I want to deadlift my squat because my legs are so long and my torso is so short. So I want to bend over because I use my hips and I'm very strong like that. But if I want to focus on knee strength, if I want to focus on the knee extensors and the quads, I should probably focus to keep my uh, torso as upright as possible. Maybe I elevate the heels. So then I can really focus on that one area that I'm lacking, which is knee extensor strength over hips, uh, hip extensor strength. So for me to do eight sets of five, I can keep the fatigue levels low, which means I can really focus on um, doing what I want to do. If I did four sets of 10, there's no way I'd do it because it would basically be like, I have a gun to my head and I need to complete the set as, as in any way possible. <laughs> um, so yeah, those, those are basically the three reasons why I think hypertrophy clusters are superior. And it just, it just logically makes sense. I've really not heard an argument going the other way that I would agree with. Um, and let, let me add this to the for, for any athletes or in the hypertrophy world, we have ideas where we might say like, well, all you need is one set to failure. All you need like minimum effective dose type ideas. And that's, that's okay. That thing can work, but everything affects everything. And doing hypertrophy clusters, if you do eight sets of five or you do 10 sets of four or you do 12 sets of three on a compound exercise, uh, your work capacity goes through the roof after that phase, like after that six to eight week phase, your ability to handle stress and pretty much anything is, is so much more enhanced. Um, so there are many benefits to hypertrophy clusters, the hypertrophy aspect, the quality of performance aspect, the not beating you up so much, but also you gain crazy levels of, uh, work capacity to where you get out of the phase and your strength phase, your power phase, your speed phase, whatever it is, it works so much better because you're just in a lot better shape. 
That sounds uh, very, very attractive. So I think then the, the next step is to, to make this practical. Um, if, if coaches are listening and they want to like use this as such, um, can you tell us how they can implement that maybe with a case study as to how you would look at that over, uh, over the course of uh, a few weeks for an athlete? Yeah. So I, I have, I have this plan in hypertrophy cluster protocol. It's six to eight week plan. It's like a hypertrophy phase, but I understand like when I, I was at the college level, I never did a hypertrophy phase. Like often you just don't have the time to do a hypertrophy phase. Now I didn't work with football or rugby. It was mainly like women's teams. Um, and also women are not interested in hypertrophy for the most, for the most part. <laughs> um, but I, I would say if you have an athlete, cause maybe you, maybe you separate athletes and you, there are, there are some that are just very small for their position and they, you feel like they need to gain muscle. Um, and if you were going to use the compound exercises like squats, deadlifts, uh, split squats, bench presses, um, even some pulling exercises, if you were going to use those and do the traditional hypertrophy route, which would be around like 10 reps, four sets of 10, let's just say, uh, you simply just do half of the reps and twice the sets. That's all that you do. And you cut the rest times down. So it's the same. So if you were going to do four sets of 10 deadlift with three minutes of rest, you just do eight sets of five deadlift with 90 seconds of rest. So it would pretty much take the same amount of time. Uh, the athlete's going to feel better. The reps are going to look way better. They're getting a lot of volume. Um, they're doing everything they need to do to get the benefit of the workout without the negatives of being in the lactic environment, having bad repetitions, um, uh, sacrificing technique, everything. So, yeah, that's the simplest way. Basically, do half of the reps and do twice the sets. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very simple way of looking at things. So when you when you have those uh, those sets as such, the clusters um, that allows you to effectively do more. Is it sensible then to just do more? Uh, you, you've taken in this example uh, the same volume and same amount of work, made it easier. Um, is it a reasonable argument to then say, okay, well you've you've left something in the tank. Do we want to use this technique to then push even further? Yeah. Uh, okay. Very difficult question because it's always, always individual. Yeah. Um, and dude, I would say, I, I hate to say like, well, it works. So let's not, let's not change anything, you know? <laughs> um, because a, a, anything can be, can be made better. Um, I, I guess, man, but, but for me, I've had so many people do it and they, and they get great results from it. So I guess if you know your body well enough, you can, you can work on those individual differences. But for me to suggest something, uh, it's kind of hard to say. And I would rather, if you're an athlete, I would rather you leave the session, not feeling awful, you know, like not, I, I would rather you do, did a little bit less than you did too much. And here's what I will say. If we're talking about doing the hypertrophy clusters and, and you feel better afterwards, like you feel some people like you do them, usually you do a hypertrophy workout and you feel awful. But if you do hypertrophy clusters, you'll often feel like your nervous system feels feels uh, like your nervous system feels great. Like you feel like you can you can you can jump higher or you can sprint faster or something like that, um, which doesn't usually happen after a hypertrophy uh, session. So here's what I would say. You do the hypertrophy clusters. And then we get into assistance exercises. And if you're going to do isolation stuff, like let's say a hamstring curl or a quad extension or a bicep curl, tricep pushdown, uh, there is no reason to do hypertrophy clusters there. Because I, I think these smaller areas, it's very hard to use heavy loads. It's very hard to use a heavy load on 
a like a heavy load, meaning like a five repetition max on a bicep curl. You're probably not even going to feel it in your bicep. You're going to feel it in maybe your traps or your forearms. So using those smaller muscle groups, it doesn't really make sense to use the hypertrophy clusters because you're not going as heavy anyways. So I think you're you're more focusing on the metabolic stress aspect. So that's where you're focusing on the higher rep ranges. So if you if we feel like athletes they feel like they have something in the tank and they want to do more you can always kill yourself on isolation exercises like there's really no harm globally to killing yourself on a hamstring curl or a calf raise or a quad extension there are negatives to killing yourself on a back squat because you're putting so much weight on your spine and you're going through such a big range of motion um you can really kill yourself on back squats and be dead for like the next two weeks if you did if you train hard enough and if you're going to try that with a leg leg curl or something it's just not going to happen. So I think if you have, you feel like you have more left in the tank, go ahead and kill yourself on the assistance exercises, the isolation exercises, but don't do it on the compound exercises because they have such a global effect to killing performance um, and maybe even increasing the likelihood of injury for the next days and maybe weeks to come. I think that's uh, some super wise advice as well. So that's, uh, that's excellent stuff. Um, before we finish up, I want to ask you the most difficult question that we can imagine. And that is, what is the one thing that you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? Ooh, like in terms of the strength field, uh, whatever you want, man, you take, you take it wherever you need. Oh my God. Sorry. I'm gonna have to think about this one. That's all right. Uh, no, no, no pressure. <laughs> I'll count down or whatever, like from three or something, but yeah. No <laughs> oh man. What do I do differently? Um, I'm not editing any of this out, by the way. It's just silence for everyone. You're not? Dude, <laughs> oh, that is that is, that is very tough. Um, I want I my head's in my head is in uh, strength conditioning, so I I just want to stay on that. But uh, man, dude, that's that is that is the hardest question ever. So uh, here's what I would say. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe, it's, maybe people will probably already know that. Um, <laughs> I do not. I guess I would just want to talk about warm-ups, dude. Like ev- everyone, everyone has these uh, elaborate warm-ups and things that they need to do for body prep. And uh, I think a lot of it's garbage. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I think it I think it is completely individual. That um, for one person, their their best warm-up is a game of spike ball, and for another person, their best warm-up is a dynamic warm-up, and for another person, it's foam rolling and stretching. Um, everyone gets prepared to their own way, and I think that was one frustration at the college level all right everyone's warm-up time let's all do the let's all get on the line and do the warm-up and it's like uh that's not how people prepare the best they all have their individual way but again they're 18 year old kids know that yet and they might not care so yeah for me what i do differently is i get in for a training session and it's like uh whatever i see is going to increase my arousal state that's what i go towards but i never have a canned idea for what's good well how it's going to happen I think that's a, that's a super interesting one as well, right? Like we, we write these elaborate warmups, uh, loads of mobility stuff and loads of stuff which makes you better. And then what do we do when we walk in the gym as, as SSC coaches? Oh, two or three warmup sets and, uh, crack on with it, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude, um, so let me, let me add, I, I have that too with, uh, with, dun- whenever I do a dunking session, if I'm there by myself, it is very hard for me to jump. But if there's games of pickup basketball going on, my arousal state gets so high just from that competition that my dunks, my vertical jump in the dunking goes up probably four, five, six inches. And there's no there's no strength coach in the world that could do that for me. Uh, write me a plan to increase it by that much. 
me just playing games of pickup basketball does it for me. So uh, I don't need I don't I don't need to employ a strength coach. I just need to go play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is don't employ strength and conditioning coaches. Go play your sport. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, yes, and, and I, I would say I would say too. It is individual and it is based on the athlete because yeah. Um, so yeah, so, some of them, dude, some of them they really love those dynamic warm ups. So some of them really love the stretching and all that stuff. But I, in my experience, it is the select few that like that. Yeah, I can uh, I can certainly attest to that. I uh, I try and make sure the warm up's got some useful stuff in it. But yeah, I can I remember doing some warm ups which lasted longer, and you you lose the attention of the athletes pretty quickly. So uh, yeah, mate, really good stuff. So uh, Jake, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much for uh, giving us some of your wisdom this afternoon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Jake for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to check out our seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy, where you can find out loads of great content related to sports science and strength and conditioning. In the Coach Academy, there are mini lectures, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So those lectures are around two hours of content, and each of the chunks is around 10 to 15 minutes, which means that you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. So if you're interested, there is a seven-day free trial in show notes. All you have to do is click that one in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to also hit the subscribe button on whichever sender you're listening to. Of course, the more people who listen to the podcast means that we can bring on better and better guests. So if you have enjoyed it, be sure to hit subscribe and don't miss out on next week's fantastic episode. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.